Hey guys, it's Cream and welcome to episode 7 of Conversations with Cream. Today's episode is taken from my show, The Elite Radio Show. It's a portion of that episode. My guest was Sonia Marie, and I felt like our conversation was podcast worthy because the subject that we were speaking on was children in foster care. And for those of you who may live outside of the Cleveland area, you might not have seen the news report about the foster children that a little birdie let the information out in regards to these children who were sleeping inside of the Children's Services Building, aka the Welfare Building, because they were unable to place them. So they have been sleeping for over a month. So they're saying, who knows how long it really has been, but they're saying that they've been sleeping in the office building of Children's Services for over one month. And Sonia has decided to put together a peaceful demonstration coming up on June 7th. Today is, I'm sorry, July 7th. Today is July uh, 4th. And a lot of times I don't like to put dates on broadcasts. And I also don't like to put dates on podcasts because I like for them to be timeless. But I am putting the date on this one because... We know that this demonstration is going to go down in history. It is peaceful and I can't wait to come back and talk to you guys about everything that happened and what we were able to accomplish after the demonstration. But thank you guys for being subscribers to my podcast. I definitely appreciate your support. And I hope that you guys, I don't want to say enjoy, but I hope that you guys listen to the um, the next uh, audio and I hope you get involved. I hope that you guys care about the subject at hand and I hope that you guys decide to at least be empathetic enough to write a letter, to make a phone call, to repost to get involved some type of way. But again, this is episode seven, and uh, this is Conversations with Cream featuring Sonia Marie. Okay. I usually do a double recording. So, all right. Yes, today's topic, as I stated, um, is not a happy one. And the sad thing about this is, is that there's so much going on, and we all know that things happen every single day, but... It just seems as if, um, as of late, especially for 2020, it seems like every time we wake up, there's something new um, that's being reported that adds on to the already sadness and um, uh, things that we have to protect our mental health from, and it just continues every single day. So uh, one of the uh, topics that we're going to discuss today is um, protection of children that are in foster care. And I know that this is something that has been talked about a lot, but for the amount of times this topic has been discussed, it is just sad to see that things haven't progressed as far as um, protection in the children's favor, services for the children. It just seems as if they're either getting worse or staying the same. So do you want to go ahead? I know I talked about it in the first hour, but do you want to go ahead and just explain to everyone what we're going to be discussing today? 
Absolutely. So as of Monday last week on the 29th of June, there was an article released by News Channel 5 that were addressing concerns of children um, living inside of the child welfare offices in Cuyahoga County. Um, And so as as we know, and I'm not sure a lot of people are familiar with this, but um, as an advocate, these are things that we really, you know, these are issues that come about all the time. And these are things that happen throughout the United States, unfortunately. Um, it's, a, it's a system issue. And so I guess, honestly, it's just it's so disheartening because the article stated there was a 17-year-old um, gentleman who spent a month living there. And that is totally unacceptable. Um, as we know, when young people reach the age of 18, usually they're emancipating, which just means that they're aging out or transitioning out of foster care um, into adulthood. And so with that being said, it was almost like this was kind of a holding space, which is unacceptable. Um, a building is not a home, as we know. Um, we, would want, we would want our children to have the utmost dignity and respect as far as living spaces. And so, yeah, sleeping in offices is just completely unacceptable. It's disheartening and honestly, it's disgusting to me. Um, I am a person who does have lived experience myself, and that is why this is both personal to me as well as a professional matter um, of really addressing this. But I also spent 16 hours when this was 10 plus years ago. And so what we know is that decades upon decades that this has been a system issue that hasn't been addressed. And somehow um, someone has the information got leaked, and I'm really grateful that it did so that we can start to really um, address the conditions in which our kids are really living under. Absolutely. And it seems as if 2020 is the year of leaked information. And although it's disheartening to continue to read um, all of this information, to see all of these videos go viral, to watch the news and and just continue to get disheartening information, I am willing to do as much as I can to protect my mental health, but it's worth having everything that has been leaked this year. It has been worth having every single video from police brutality, from people jogging in neighborhoods being shot down, from soldiers that were killed and covered up, from children being left to live in a a welfare office building, although it's a lot to handle at once, I'm very grateful for all of these people who are leaking these videos and putting them out and letting everyone know what's going on. And I just wanted to go back to when you mentioned that the young man that they found out that was living in the building being 17 and at 18 you get to be emancipated. People have to understand, like, I'm really big on good mental health. And people have to understand what it could possibly feel like to live in a building until until you're 18, and then you are then turned out into the street. And people wonder why there are so many broken homes and so many broken families and so many adults with mental health issues because if I lived in a building without love, care, not yeah. knowing what it feels like to have a family, raising myself inside of a cold, dark office until I turn 18, what yeah. type of adult do you think that I'm going to be? 
What type of 18-year-old do you think I'm going to be if someone basically put me in an office version of a holding cell until I turned 18 and said, go out there and be someone? Like, how? Yeah. How? It's, 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 it's incredibly um, re-traumatizing, and I, and I emphasis on the re-traumatizing part because, you know, these kids, we have to realize they're already separated from their families, right, and places mm-hmm. in high welfare. In a lot of cases, um, data shows that a high percentage, probably the highest percentage of 70% of children that's removed from their homes is due to neglect, quote-unquote. Now, we don't know if that's really the, the true story, but when they're being called into the hotline uh, for Children and Family Services, there's a high call volume around neglect issues. And so Mm -hmm. just the thought of kids being ripped away and just the separation of it in itself is traumatizing, let alone then we say, you know, well, we're going to keep you safe and we're here to protect you because we call it Children's Protective Services too. And so our job in the system is to protect you, but we also really – we're really neglecting you in a way as well. And what I mean by Mm -hmm. that is if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we know that human connection, sense of belonging, security, and safety are are the top things on on that hierarchy of needs. And when young people's needs are being met, it does mess mess with their mental psyche. And it does really, um, it really just kind of, projects the trajectory of what their lives are going to look like in the next few years. Um, You know, high rates of pregnancy, um, double times of suicide rate um, or suicide attempts, mental health issues, justice system involvement, um, amongst just various uh, system, cross-system involvement for a lot of young people um, is what our data also reflects. So mental health is one of the primary things that I actually think of. So I really appreciate you, um, Mrs. Cream, like, to, to even really bring that, lift that up, because I think it's important, especially in our African-American community as well. And a lot mm-hmm. of our young people are disproportionately represented and they, they're African-American in our child welfare system. So that's important. Absolutely. And not only do you have um, the, the mental health aspect of it, but as you said, adding on to it being black, which in yeah. itself is stressful, and yes. the fact that there are already stigmas placed on you as yeah. because yeah. of your race. So yeah. now yeah. you, even though living in, let me backtrack a little bit, even though living in an office building isn't the best yeah. place to be, but imagine yeah. you going from having a secure place, regardless of where it is, but you're in a secure place. Like you said, a lot of these children come from abused homes. So imagine you're not abused. You're not placed with an abusive foster family. You're at a safe building just for lack of, 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 of everything else. So you're yeah. in this place that's safe. No one's abusing you, we hope, because hopefully that would have been leaked with it. No one is abusing you. And, again, you are traumatically just, just – and I'm and I'm calling it traumatic because that's what it feels like. You Absolutely. know, you are traumatically dismissed and emancipated because you turned 18. So you went from, although not the best place, like comfiest place, but you went from having shelter to none. Yeah. Because you're yeah. 18, and then right. you're in, in and, and and you know, let's just talk about the kids of color because. We know yeah. what it feels like to people of color. So you go from a comfy place to live, 
you're emancipated because you're 18, you're a person of color, you're black, and now yeah. you're out on the streets. So you're walking yeah. around with um, feelings of your, your, your self-worth comes into mind, your mental health yeah. comes into mind, um, whether or not someone wants yeah. you comes into mind. So you have all these yeah. things on you at 18 years old, and your race comes into place, and and Ooh, yeah. here are all these people because of what's going on right now that are just going around attacking people for no reason because of their because of their color. Yeah. So you basically, yeah. especially children of color and black children, you basically put them in harm's way. Yeah, and there's COVID-19, there's so much going on right now, and you just said go. Just, you're 18, bye-bye. So there's so many layers to this, not only trying to protect and find better services for children that are under 18, but also finding aftercare services for Mm -hmm. children that have been emancipated. Because when you're 18, you are still a child. I'm sorry. Any other yeah. race, you would be considered still a kid. You do something like, oh, they're still home, young. Right? Yes, you could go back home to your parents. A yes. lot of these kids yes. don't have any support. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, yes. I, I, I think you hit on the intersectionality part, Ms. Cream, of, you know, just being black and being young and also not always being educated. A lot and of misunderstood. Yes, and misunderstood and feelings of loss and neglect. And, and the thing is, what I explain to people is every time these young people move to a new foster home, they are experiencing a loss. They are grieving. And, you know, of course, while people are alive, but they're grieving. They're grieving the loss of a placement. They're grieving the loss of having a sense of belonging. They're grieving the loss of being connected, a sense of connectedness. And so they've experienced loss their whole entire lives. And so mm-hmm. when they're it's it's just it's 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 terrifying. It's another loss, actually, when they're emancipated. It's another loss, especially if they weren't able to make any type of connection with anyone before they turned eighteen. Because when you're eighteen, you are still a child. You still need some guidance. I'm not saying that there aren't mature eighteen-year-olds, but there's only so much maturity you can have at eighteen. When you're Absolutely. 18, you still need to have the comfort of knowing that there's someone that you can call if you have a question, that there's someone that you can call on if you don't know if you're getting something right. The fact mm-hmm. that they are depending on these young people who haven't had a stable home or a stable adult to show them how to be 18, how to be an adult, how to live on their own, the fact that you're releasing them and saying, you're you're 18, so that means you should know how to do it. We yeah. need aftercare services as well, and I don't yeah. like that people automatically just make 18-year-olds adults and say, do it on your own. You don't need your parents. You don't need anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And this even goes for just regular 18-year-olds that haven't been in foster care. I've never really liked the fact that we label 18-year-olds adults and they're just responsible for their entire life and and they have to be responsible for everything on their own. I don't really agree with that, but I definitely feel like that's something else that we need to advocate for is aftercare services because you're not an adult when you're 18. You don't know everything, and you're going to mess up. But without guidance, you're going to mess up even more. So, and that's, that's the 
key. The key is guidance and having a sense of permanency is what we call it in child welfare terms, having a sense of, like a place to go back to. And I always say that it's, a home is not a place, but it's a person. And so young mm-hmm. people need people that they can feel like they are in relationship with, um, even when they are at their worst. You know, a lot of young people, they're, you know, I hear the terms they're horrible or they're bad kids. No, they're kids of bad circumstances, they're, and that's, there's a difference. They have dealt with an mm-hmm. immense amount of trauma, you know, immense amount of loss, and, and just disconnectedness. And so we really need to be sensitive to, to those things, too. And so um, even more than we, we need to advocate definitely for aftercare services. But on top of that, we need to connect them to their kinship families. And that's the thing. There's this story that's being told um, that isn't necessarily true is that these kids don't have families. And a lot of times, especially in the African-American community, um, we are ripped away from our families, and then we're told, oh, you don't have family, so create a new one. No, these kids have families. Even if it's not their immediate aunt and uncle, grandma and grandpa, they have extended family too. And like I tell people, they say, well, what's the difference, you know, if they go to a foster home versus an estranged relative? And I said there's a huge difference because they're being disconnected from their culture. And that's Mm -hmm. even more of a thing. You're talking about the blood that runs through my veins, the blood that runs through their veins. And a lot of times these families are unaware for multiple years. I mean, I, I worked in the agency in Cuyahoga before I moved down here to do nonprofit work in Summit County where that was all of the work we did was family finding for young people. And this is the work that I like. This is my life's work. And a lot of times after 18 years, this kid is about to emancipate. We are, as a nonprofit, on the phone phone trying to say, this kid has family. Let's find them. And we get connected to these families, and they say, I had no clue, one, this kid even existed in some cases, and two, I had no clue that this kid was in foster care. And And that's because no one calls them, right? No one calls them, and if they're disconnected, they don't live in Ohio, and they live in Alabama, perhaps, you know, there's, there's just this, this gap. There's this disconnect. And so we need to advocate for both aftercare as well as, you know, connection to family, whether that's chosen family, biological, or family of origin. Um, either way, Absolutely. we need to make sure that we're doing a diligent job at connecting them. Absolutely. And that's for all the kids that are in foster care. But we as a community, we have always talked about the fact that black children are seen as more mature than their age, and we are Mm -hmm. always made to be adults when we're not supposed to be adults. And I really feel like one of the reasons that a lot of us remain in foster care longer than we should um, as far as the black community is because people think that we can handle any and everything. And it's just because we have been taught or we have gone through so much as a people that we learn to be stronger than we need to be, and Mm -hmm. we've learned to mask our feelings, and I really want us to get out of that. Like, I really want us to understand that it's not weak to unmask your feelings because a lot of things are happening to us because people think that we can handle it throughout centuries and years, we've been um, test dummies. People have, you know, experimented on us. People have done things to us um, without anesthesia. There's so many things that have been covered up from things that have happened to us, and I feel like it's transferred Mm -hmm. through the foster care system where they don't even think that it's important to figure out whether or not 
our children have extended families because they automatically just feel like black people already come from broken homes and we don't care about being a family and who wants you and all these other things, and that's not true. Black people are some of the most caring and giving people. We may seem very rough on the outside sometimes, but it's just because we, our communities have been taken advantage of so yeah. much that we put yeah. up this hard front until we know that we can trust you. But once you really look at our community, I feel mm-hmm. like the black community is one of the first the most diverse communities out there because we actually welcome everyone. We want everyone to come to the barbecue. You know, we want yes. everyone to come to the cookout. Everyone is our cousin. And if y'all have us a cookout today, I need to be there. I'm telling you. Exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what color you are. We welcome everyone. Yeah. And Absolutely. that part of us isn't always broadcasted throughout the mm-hmm. media, throughout movies, social media, people don't like to broadcast that part of us, but we really do love each other. We really do love other people. And all communities Mm -hmm. have bad people. All races of people have bad people. All races of people have people who kill people that are the same race as them, not just us. And Mm -hmm. I just think that all of the stereotypes that are perpetuated about black people are being used against our foster children, and that is something that has to be brought to the forefront as well. And we as a community, not only do we need to continue to stick up for each other, we also need to add this to the list of things that need to be discussed when we're saying Black Lives Matter, because if we don't let them know that we are aware of what's going Mm -hmm. on with Mm -hmm. what they're doing to us, what they're doing to our children, what they're doing to our community, they're going to continue to do it, and nothing is ever going to change. So we Mm -hmm. must come together as a community and advocate for foster kids in general, but especially foster kids who look exactly like us because we don't show that we care about them. They're going to keep stuffing them into welfare buildings and keeping it quiet until they turn 18. Yeah. And and they think that, and, and you hit on something good, they think that we don't care. We absolutely care. We absolutely care about our kids. We are misinformed or not informed at all. And so when we yes. have lack of information, how can we show up to the table and say, you know, we, we want legislation to reflect the protection of our children. We don't know that there's a problem until now. And so thank goodness for the Black Lives Matter movement. Thank goodness for the Black Trans Lives Matter movement, because I really, you know, I was thinking this the other day. I said, Lord, how long would this have gone just never disclosed to, to, the, to the public if it wasn't for these revolutionary movements? We are mm-hmm. indeed, especially black African-American foster youth, we are a part of this movement. We are disproportionately representing our system on every level, and we are totally underserved and unseen. And we have to stop that now. And as a community, we need to be educated. And so if, 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 if Karen isn't going to educate us, then fine is going to educate us. We need to educate one another, um, and we mm-hmm. need to empower one another to get out there and do what we can and be creative about it too, right? Because mm-hmm. we protests are effective, but so is, you know, signing petitions and writing new legislation and being in your councilman and mayor's face and saying that we demand that there's a change and that there's a change right now. Because 
you know, just like Black Lives Matter, we are trying to make it a public health crisis. So is our African-American kids that are, are being neglected. So is and by a system, not even by their families. It's a public health crisis because our kids are emancipated into homelessness. Our kids are emancipated into sex trafficking. You know, our kids are emancipated into the justice system. And so that's, that's a health crisis, right, because it affects yeah. our community as a whole. And I don't think people realize that, but it is. And so when we're talking about, you know, you know the, the upcoming Tuesday, the demonstration we're doing, that it doesn't stop there. This is an ongoing thing, and we have to continue to care just how we care about our black lives. You know, we have to care about our black children and our families, and we do. We do, but people don't think we do. And so we have to be in their face about it. And we have to stand Absolutely. up and say that enough is enough. We're tired, you know. And I tell people, that, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm tired. There's a difference, you know. And it's okay Absolutely. to have a little bit of rage, but you know, you you get a little passionate when you're yelling and yelling, and it's falling on deaf ears. So I think we just have to get strategic and creative about how we get in their face about these racial issues. Absolutely. 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 I 100% agree. And I want to go back to a point that you made about misinformation. That is really what our weakness is in our community. It's not that we don't care. It's just that we're misinformed. It's really hard to advocate, and it's really hard to show care for something that you don't know that you're supposed to advocate and care about. If I'm unaware, I can't advocate for something that I don't know that I can advocate for. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the reasons that people think we don't care. There are a lot of parents who care. There are a lot of people who do care. The issue in our community is that we don't think that it's going to work for us. We don't because, think that. Because has it, right, because it, it, exactly. it, it, it feels like so it has it, or it's slow, or it's slow to exactly. happen. Exactly. Because we are and minority. Because we don't have all of the information. If I know, we don't have the social yes. capital, we, all of those things, absolutely. All of these, if you think about it, and, you know, people are like, oh, you guys are talking about race. Because that is what affects us every day. I don't think people who's race doesn't That's affect them every about. day. They cannot yeah. relate. When you are black and you know that something could possibly not happen for you because you're black, you look at yeah. things differently. For white mm-hmm. people, you don't have to think about these things because you already know it's in your favor. You don't even have to know what you you don't even have to know what you don't know what you don't know because it's gonna work possibly in your favor anyway. You know, so I have exactly, and and they they have to understand that that as a black person in America, you are automatically written off and misunderstood when you walk in the door. So you have to come in knowing, dotting all your eyes and crossing all of your t's because there are some people who are going to write you off because yeah. they don't like the color of your skin, and they're not – you can you can come in with a folder full of information, and they will still mm. ignore you, and that is yep. something that we have to fight against. But the more of us that are educated and informed and, like you yes. said, find creative ways to stand yes. up for each other, you may mm-hmm. be able to fight one of us when we're by ourselves, but you can't fight the whole army when we join together. Ooh, so. Hey. 
Um, (laughs) So if we join together as an army and we come with our bullet points for Black Lives Matter, say Black Lives Matter when it comes to the LGBTQ community, Black Lives Matter when it comes to foster care, Black Lives Matter when it comes to schools, Black Lives Mm -hmm. here's all of our bullet points that we want to discuss today. Black Lives Matter when it comes to our neighborhood. Stop trying to, to turn us saying that we matter into, oh, but that organization is, is on. We're not talking about the organization. So someone yeah. decided to take our movement and name their organization after it and then do evil things. Stop trying to, to overshadow yeah. what we're saying mm-hmm. by continuously mm-hmm. talking to us about an organization that has absolutely nothing to do with my life mattering, okay? It has nothing to do with the children in that building's lives matter. Stop bringing up that organization. Stop telling me that black people kill each other because everyone because kills each other. Because they want to make our lives Stop. political. Our lives is not a political statement. Our lives are not is not a political statement. Our lives at is, all. Is, is, not at all. So yes, I absolutely agree. I absolutely like, agree. One hundred percent. It shouldn't even be. Why does anti everything evil have to even be a discussion? It just should yeah. be. Oh my gosh. I didn't know about this. Now that I know, let's end it. But it's like, oh, my God, I didn't know about this. Let's argue. Like, no, let's not. We have been fighting for centuries. I don't Mm -hmm. want to keep fighting with you to leave us the hell alone (laughs) and just allow us to be, period. That's what we want. So speaking of saying that's what we want, fighting for what we want, Let's get into this peaceful protest that you have planned for Tuesday, which I plan, um, if everything goes well, to be there. But we have two more minutes left on the show, so tell everyone about the peaceful protest on Tuesday and the purpose behind the protest, even though I think they gathered it from the conversation, but go right into it. Absolutely. And so um, just the key to that is peacefully, silently, it's a demonstration. And we were intentional about not saying a protest because of how people have tried, like you just said, tried to turn the, the tides against us and say, oh, you all are trying to be violent or you're trying to turn it into something. No, we're not. So we want mm-hmm. to demonstrate that we come in peace, but we come for solutions, that we're not just here so we will be sitting on the ground. We, we ask everyone who is attending to bring their pillows, their blankets off of their beds, and we're going to sit on the sidewalks in front of the Jane Edna Hunter Building, which is located on 3955, three, um, make sure I have that right, Euclid Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio. And so we will be, that is a child welfare office in Cuyahoga County. There's multiple, but it's specifically the Jane Edna Hunter Building. Look it up on your GPS. We will be there. We will be coming in peace. Um, we are, again, we know our rights. We are allowed to be there on the sidewalks on public property. We do ask that people do not walk into the building as demonstrators because we do not want to um, make them turn it into something. Yes, 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 yes. So we, and what we're hoping to do is have some petitions out there, have some paper out there for people to write letters, even in support, just to say two lines, I care about our black kids. I care about our foster youth, and we need to do something about this. So with that being said, that will be from 3 to 5 at the Jane Edna Hunter Building, and I really hope to see you all there. Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> You're so very welcome. It's not going to cut off if, if it goes a little fast forward. Um, I could not own the station. So um, 
I appreciate you for being on. I appreciate you for being someone that's passionate about advocating for our youth and our community. And um, before we go, I know that you had an email address for people to um, send an email to if they're experiencing um, or know someone that may be experiencing um, uh, or know someone that, that is in foster care that doesn't have placement or experiencing anything like these kids are experiencing. So give that email address and also let everyone know who you are one more time and just a really quick background. Absolutely. My name is Sonia Emerson. Again, I am a child welfare um, youth advocate. And so my my whole life and my whole passion is um, just committed to serving young people, um, especially those in the minority communities. Um, and, and I will say this, too. I didn't say this earlier. I am a LGBTQ, queer-identified black woman. And so just because a lot of people can't see my face, I just want you to know that this is, this is something that's very near and dear to me. Um, the email address that I am asking people to send letters of support, even, even if you don't have lived experience, but we highly encourage encourage young people um, with lived experience, young people meaning any age, 14 through 26. Um, and it could be anyone even in the community, whether you're beyond 26, that just say, I care about our children. Please email me at Emerson at gmail.com, and that's S-O-N-I-A-M-E-M-E-R-S-O-N at gmail.com. Um, thank you again so much, Ms. Cream, for having me on the show. I'm so inspired by the work you're doing, um, which is a form of advocacy in itself, and I'm, I'm just honored to be here. Thank you so much. I'm honored to have you on. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And if everything in the universe goes within my power, I will be there on Tuesday. That would be awesome. Thank you. Hope to see you. You're welcome. Have a great day. Bye. You too.